Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. As always, we're going to start things off here in just a moment or two uh, with another great round uh, and discussion on uh, Coach's Corner panel. And I've got two uh, great professionals that are going to be joining me here in just a minute, and uh, I'll introduce you uh, to them and bring them on here in just a moment. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by my uh, very special guest and good friend, Meredith Kirk. Uh, she's a uh, creative media consultant and an LPJ teach professional and uh, ranked one of the best young teachers in America multiple years by Golf Digest. And she was a former uh, Mrs. South Carolina back in, uh, uh, sorry, Mrs. South Carolina America back in 2014. She'll be joining me here on the second half of the show. But let me remind everybody, of course, we are uh, live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash live or just type Golf Talk Live up in the search key, and that will take you uh, to the main page. For some reason, if you can't join us live, not to worry. You can just scroll down that page, and uh, you'll find the on-demand section. That's where all of the previously aired shows, including tonight's, uh, will be there in the recorded version in their entirety. So you can always uh, scroll down to the on-demand section when it's convenient for you if you can't uh, join us live on Thursday evenings. Uh, or some other great ways uh, to tune in through social media. You can go to iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, or now talkstreamlive.com and uh, again just type in golf talk live and that will take you on those social media platforms so lots of great ways to connect with the show and and listen uh, whatever is convenient for you uh, you're also welcome to call in and speak with uh, either myself or any of the guests uh, during the live broadcast on thursday and the number to call is area code 646-716-4667 and uh, you can also email questions or comments to me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com and of course i update in all Pretty much the main social media platforms, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and of course, uh, my Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO. Uh, but if you go to Facebook uh, forward slash Golf Talk Live blog uh, or on my personal page, you can find uh, updates as far as who's going to be on the Coach's Corner panel that night and also who my special guests are going to be. And the same on LinkedIn.com and of course, uh, Twitter, as I said, my uh, Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO. CEO is in capital letters. Uh, and thanks for all the, the new followers there as well. All right, as I mentioned, I've got a great uh, panel here for Coach's Corner. I've got two uh, fantastic professionals. They've been on many, many times over the years, both as guests and also as featured panelists on the Coach's Corner. Uh, and I'm going to read them out here, and then I'll get them on, and we'll start tonight's discussion. Uh, first up, of course, is Jamie Leno-Zimron. Uh, she's a speaker, instructor, body worker, and consultant, and an Aikido 6th degree black belt. Uh, she's also, of course, a Class A LPJ teach professional, uh, corporate and conference speaker, uh, executive trainer and coach, and she's also a speaker for the Visage International and the Executive Committee of Canada. Also uh, on the panel tonight is Chuck Evans. He's a Golf Magazine Top 100 teacher, 
the Golf Digest Top Teachers in America, and a Top 50 Growth of the Game Teacher as well. Uh, Chuck is the Director of Instruction at the Emerald Bay Golf Course in Destin, Florida, and of course the owner of Chuck Evans Golf. Uh, guys, welcome uh, back, should I say, to the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, Thanks Ted. So Thanks for having us. Always happy to be here. Aren't All right. Pre- <laughs> uh, yeah, you got it's like old old home night. Um, very quickly before we start, Jamie, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity. You had some uh, additional awards that uh, you're very excited about, so go ahead and just take a moment and uh, and let the uh, the listeners know some of the recent uh, awards that you've re- uh, recently won. Well, I was just sharing with you that I recently was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Pacific Association of Women Martial Artists, which was really very nice. And uh, in 2016, our National Women's Martial Arts Federation awarded me the Award of Excellence. So uh, it's just been, you know, nice to to get those uh, that acknowledgement. I was just sharing that with you, and uh, it's kind of a validation for me, I would say, of uh, both my work in martial arts, but also more even more dear to my heart is extending those principles of Aikido, the martial art I practice, known as the martial art of peace, but extending extending those kind of black belt self mastery principles into golf, uh, into mm-hmm. leadership, into everything that we do. So uh, just really, I'm, I'm excited for, for the sake of that as well as for myself. So, yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Well, congratulations, and uh, we're excited for you as well. And um, we're going to start tonight's discussion. Uh, I actually covered a lot of this last week, but there's a reason why I wanted to do it again this week. Um, with you guys, we're going to talk about some different things. Um, but this was um, based on a recent annual report that was put out by the National Golf Foundation. Uh, they issued their 2018 uh, golf industry report, and of course they uh, reach out to not only golf courses but to members in the teaching side as well. Uh, but basically to get statistics on uh, different areas of, of golf, particularly participation, uh, some of the different breakdowns now. So the first one I want to start with, and I and I did this last week, but I want to get your take on it, guys. And Jamie, I'm going to go ladies first this time and, and start with you. Um, and, and it really talks about the uh, golfers and the, their ability or, or not ability to break a hundred. And it's very interesting. I'm going to read out some very quick stats, and then I want to get your thoughts and opinions, and then Chuck, you as well. So it talks about how many golfers can break a hundred, and in the game of golf around 5% of players are able to break uh, 80 consistently, uh, around 20% break between 80 and 90, and 25% can break 100 consistently. So basically what that says, based on the numbers, that 50% of golfers do not have the ability to break 100 consistently. Now, these, this report, by the way, just even though it was introduced out in 2018, was compiled from, uh, compiled, excuse me, from stats in 2017. So, Jamie, I want to ask you this. Um, that's kind of an alarming number, that 50% of all of the golfers, despite all the technology and everything that's out there and available now, are still struggling to make, break 100. What's some of the feedback that you've had from students that you're working with as to why they're struggling, do you think? Well, I think these are really important statistics that we need to know, <laughs> and they are kind of alarming in a sense, um, but they're useful. What I see in golfers and hear from my students is, uh, you know, a number of things. Golf's just kind of a hard game, right? Um, it's a kind of a funny setup with this long club and 
the way we swing a club and it's one-sided and the ball is so tiny and it's, you know, and there's, we just have so many thoughts going mm-hmm. on at once and so many emotions and so many body parts and uh, there, there's so many situations on the golf course, different kinds of lives, different, uh, just different situation. Every hole is different. Uh, so that goes into it. It takes a lot of time to practice and to play. People don't necessarily have the time it takes uh, or often the resources. Uh, golf's not cheap. It, it tends to be pretty expensive, uh, even though there are some ways that, right. that you know people can't afford to play. But, I mean, you know, even if a cheap round is 20 or $30, that's, that's not that cheap, you know, um, especially right. if you're trying to pay that much uh, enough, uh, enough times in order to actually, you know, improve and play better. So, you know, there are a lot of factors that get, go into it. One of the things that I think that this says is that it's important for most golfers, I think, not to play par as professional par. I don't think we see that in any other sport particularly. Like why are the vast majority of golfers who are having trouble or difficulty breaking 100 or 90 playing to this par 72, which professionals at extremely high levels who are essentially like Olympians, right, in the game um, and have the greatest equipment and spend all this time and come up through all kinds of ranks and mostly since they were kids, why are all the rest of us playing to that same par? And I think that what I try to do with my students is to say, just make bogey par, because bogey would be shooting 90. Now, if we think that only, mm-hmm. and know that, you know, roughly only 25% of all golfers even break 100, playing par at bogey, and for many people actually double bogey, 108, there are a lot of people who are shooting in the 120s all the time, um, that if they shot 108, right. that would be thrill, that would be progress. And so there's a psychological factor to that. So let's say that most people are playing par as bogey. That means that people would have all the joy and all of the positive biochemicals <laughs> and positive mindset of, <laughs> hey, I made par. And when they make what they think of now as a par, as a birdie, they'd be getting birdies on a more regular basis, just like the pros do when they shoot you know, under 72. Um, when they make a, a double bogey, that would only be a bogey. That wouldn't be so bad. And if you think that most people aren't even shooting 90, uh, I think for those people, which we're talking about, you know, 75, 80% of golfers, it just makes sense to change the mindset and to say it's okay. We should actually be playing bogey golf as par golf. That would really mm-hmm. positively affect the psychology and the mindset and the biochemistry uh, of most golfers. And, you know, for the golfers who are shooting in the 70s, 80s, they par 72, that's fine. But we all need to have the experience of making more pars, making birdies, not having these, you know, gigantic blow-ups, and, and reaching our targets, reaching our goals, feeling good. Hey, if I shoot 90, that's like, mm-hmm. that's like shooting a 72 if I was a pro. So I think that that would really make a difference. And I, I try to get my golfers and my students to work with that idea and not feel like that's just, you know, kind of, ah, not really, or that that's something really not so good, or that's some kind of weak goal. I think it's actually very, very powerful and, and can contribute yeah, I like that. That... to better golf. And, and feeling like we're really making progress yeah. and, hey, I am a good golfer. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's some great points. Well said, uh, Jamie. Um, Chuck, Jamie brings up a very interesting um, 
sort of uh, analogy here, if you will, of, of what we just talked about um, with the, the ability or not ability of breaking 100. And really it goes to the theme, if you will, of playing your game. Um, you know, we hear that term sort of thrown around quite a bit in the golf industry, but what does it really mean? Um, obviously, uh, Chuck, I know that you play with uh, uh, or teach rather all different levels of golfers. I know you've, you've taught some very elite golfers uh, as well as some, some higher handicap golfers, but the stats don't lie. And there's still a lot of our, uh, and I'm going to get into the numbers of just how many people are, are actively playing golf here in just a moment, but um, that's a pretty high percentage, 50% or, or maybe even higher, uh, are still struggling to break 100. So first off, what do you think about Jamie's uh, idea of, of maybe, uh, I'm not saying having an industry-wide change that we have to now call 90 the new par, but maybe individuals playing to their own game and their ability, uh, maybe uh, playing bogey golf uh, as their par. What are your thoughts on that? And then what are your thoughts as far as uh, what some of your students have said? Well, so I've said this many times on your show and in print every place else, that par is relative to your handicap. So if you're an 18 handicap, 90 is your par. So you play off of that mm-hmm. number. So if you, you go out, so, so let's say you go out and you shoot uh, 88. Well, instead of saying I'm 16 over par, you can say you're two under your par. If you're <laughs> right. if you're a 30 handicapper, right, then your par is 112. If right. you're a six handicapper, your par is 78, etc. So yeah. that goes hand right. in hand. That goes hand in hand with also the length of tees that you play. So you know if you're a if if you're a 20 handicap, zero business playing all the way back. You know, move up to where yeah. you've got a, a, a short, shortish, let's say seven, eight, nine iron. Uh, even if you whip your drive, you have a seven, eight, or nine or less into the green. I mean, we see it every day on our team. People are at the very back because yeah. they think that's where they have to play it, you know. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually surprised that the number is 25% because the last uh, study I did, which was 15, 16 years ago, only 1% of golfers broke 100. So the trend's going up, although it's still pretty dismal, uh, but at least it's gone from 1% mm-hmm. to 25%. So yeah, I yeah. With, with my players, I mean, we, we spend more time on the golf course learning how to score than we do focusing on making the perfect, if, if there's such a word, swing. Because it's never going to be perfect. Right. The best players in the world get bad shots. So, you know, why would you expect to make a great shot every time you hit a golf ball, you know? Um, I don't I don't know if you remember, but years ago on Cheryl World Series of Golf, it was, uh, it it was, was Hogan and Sneed. Hogan hit every fairway and every green, and he shot 69. So Gene Sarazen says, Ben, that may have been the greatest round of golf I've ever seen. And Hogan said, he said, or, and Sarazen said, yeah, you hit every green, you hit every fairway. And Hogan says, yeah, and I shot 69. So he was lamenting they didn't make any putts, you know. So right, you know, at, at, at the right. end of the day, even at the highest level, you know, I, I I've been you know out on mature players for thirty something years, and there there are they don't practice the ones that are kind of mid level or on the low end of the money list. They don't spend a lot of time on their short game. 
you know, which is exactly where they should mm-hmm. be spending their time. Because everybody hits right. it out there about the same. There's some guys that hit it longer, some that hit it straighter. But it, but it's the guys and gals that have the short game that, that consistently win. So if you look yep. at the Champions Tour, what you, what, you, what you haven't seen on the men's tour is a player that led season-ending, led uh, uh, greens and regulation and putts. You've never seen that on the regular tour. It was done on the Champions <clears throat> Tour, however, by Hale Irwin, and he won nine events that year. Well, if you lead in greens and you lead in putts, you should win nine events. Right. Right, that's a great point. Um, you, you know, it, it really goes to, to, the, to the fact that people need to be realistic with their expectations. And you're right. I think that golfers need to move up. I mean, you know, Nick, Jack Nicholas, of course, has said this for many, many years about moving forward uh, in, in the tees that you play, because if you're not able to, to break or consistently even make a par um, with, with any sort of regularity, even if it for half of the holes, um, as you said, Chuck, you really have no business playing from the back tees. And I think obviously it becomes an ego thing, especially for the guys, you know, the younger guys, particularly they get out there and, you know, the adrenaline's going and the, and the testosterone's pumped up and they think they're going to hit it a mile. And some of them can hit it a mile, but they just can't chip and putt worth beans. And they ultimately right. still can't break a hundred. So, you know, moving them up, um, you know, maybe a, a, a T or even two in some cases uh, is, is going to be a little bit more fun. And, and it really boils down to this guys is, it's about having fun out in the golf course. And if you're not um, able to play with any sort of consistency or, um, you know, a, a reasonable ability, then you're going to, you're not going to have much enjoyment out in the golf course for, for most part. Now, some people don't care. They don't care how they play. They just like being out there. They love the outdoors and that's fine too. Uh, but for somebody that wants to, you know, see some, some modest or steady improvement, um, you have to be realistic with your game. And I think that um, those st- stats that I read out really uh, talk to, to that part of it. Um, as I mentioned, I was going to talk about the uh, number of yeah, golfers, I... and there's a, an interesting statistic. And I... Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jamie. Oh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to piggyback a little bit on, on what you said and what you both said, which is that this matter of enjoyment over ego, I think, is very important in golf. Um, and so much of the time ego rules, right? So we play back tees or we're, right. you know, can't, can't let go of like pro par, that sort of thing. When um, enjoyment is really increased, when we can let go of those things, uh, Jack Nicholas is even a proponent of play the tees that match. And I remember my right. dad, he's like over 80 years old. It's like, dad, you can kind of move up. And boy, his ego it was so hard uh, for him to let go of that. <laughs> but when he did, Oh, my God. I mean, he played a golf course that fit his game, and he just started really having fun. Not only that, he improved more because he was having success. And this whole truth, it's kind of cliche, but success breeds success. And it's very important to us psychologically to feel like we are succeeding, we are progressing. It's very detrimental to feel like we're in constant frustration and failure. So, uh, and also, you know, kind of learning theory is that we 
we learn and we grow when we kind of ride that edge of challenge and success. So we want to keep the challenge just a little bit ahead of us. So it's maybe a little bit harder than we can do or where it's still a challenge, right? I'm not hitting like nine iron or wedge in every hole, maybe a bunch of them, but you know, I've still got some longer shots or hybrids in, but I'm not playing where it's like the whole right. time I'm hitting my, you know, my, my fairway woods into the green. That's just too much. So, um, you know, we want to keep the challenge just a little bit ahead of us. And so what are the tees that do that? What is a par that fits, uh, you know, as we're saying, that fits our handicap? And when we do that, we find that there's more, there's more growth, there's more improvement, there's more enjoyment. And at the beginning and the end of the day, I think that that's what playing golf is really all about. Yeah, I, I agree. Well said. Um, I, I want to move on to um, – the actual golf's participation, um, the base. And I'm talking about, and this is, I'm obviously referring to here in the United States primarily. Uh, no need to get over overseas or anything at this uh, at this point, but these stats obviously are talking about here in the United States. Um, but they estimate um, just a little under 24 million people played on, on a golf course. And I, I want to emphasize on a golf course in 2017, uh, as the same year earlier. So from 2016 to 2017, there wasn't really a, a big bump up of, of uh, people playing overall. Uh, but here's an interesting part of the, the statistic. Another 8.3 million played exclusively off course at uh, a variety of different facilities like driving ranges uh, or indoor simulators. Um, and, uh, and of course, they mentioned Top Golf uh, is, is a big draw as well. And this sort of brings... Um, the overall participation pool, if you will, to approximately 32 million. Now, obviously, there's going to be some crossover in that 8.3, and I mentioned that last week, um, uh, Chuck, because you're going to have people that obviously go out to the driving range that uh, maybe follow up and, and play a round of golf at some point, if not at that day, another day. So there's probably a little bit of crossover. Um, but here's what I want to talk about with that 8.3 um, is there are a lot of people – that are interested in the game and play some form uh, of golf uh, or associate themselves in some way of, of golf. Um, and again, I don't know how many of those people are, are actually out playing on a golf course at some point, but that's a pretty meaty number, if you will, to, to, to be quite frank. Um, what do we need to do to get them from the range, from top golf? Uh, to some of these other things, because obviously what we're doing right now as an industry um, is not working. Uh, and we are getting new golfers, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but um, what do we need to do to transition some of that 8.3 or let's say even 7 million um, and get them out to actually playing on course and make that uh, 23.8 or 24 million, that number bump up a little bit more to on course play. What are your thoughts there? Well, uh, I, I think first you have to look at how they break it down demographically with uh, with top golf and those versus the players that are on the golf course. Uh, from the numbers and, and the stuff that I've seen, it's typically a younger crowd. They can go out there. They can yes. have pretty decent bar food, choke down a couple of beers while they're hitting, while they're you know playing the game with their buddies sitting around that six top table. That's not something you can do mm -hmm. on the golf course. Sure, you you mm -hmm. can drink and play golf, but it's 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 not even close to the same experience. So when you when you factor out that demographic, I think that eight million comes way down 
uh, versus the demographic right. of, of the golfers that play golf, um, of the players that play on golf courses. The the golf course uh, membership model, by and large, is it, it, kind of uh, uh, prehistoric as well. You know, it used to be right. the uh, you know, it was for the super wealthy. It was, it was discriminatory. I mean, it was, it, it was, a, it was a bad model. I guess it was good for that time, but it's not good for today. Um, that right. the same demographic is, is 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 the people that have the expendable income that can that can do whatever they please. Uh, that that age group is around fifty seven years old and up. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're trying to get more golfers to your facility, you have to somehow attract these younger golfers and these millennials. Well, you're not going to do it with the old model just like we're talking about. You have to come up with a, with a yep. different model. So what is that model? I don't think anybody knows because if they had, they would have already come up with it. Uh, they keep trying right. different things. <laughs> you know, they, they keep doing the PGA Junior Leagues. They keep doing the Grow the Game uh, perspectives. They do all that stuff. And it doesn't seem to be influencing the game much at all. So I think, right? And 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 again, you know, if you're going to get the younger people, you have to appeal to the younger people. That means you have to change what you're doing with stuff on the golf course. Uh, I mean, just what five years ago or so, people started start bringing their speakers and attaching it to their carts so they could play their music. Well, that's unheard mm-hmm. of twenty years ago, you know. Yeah. Um, and it can be it can be irritating to some players. I, I know I can get irritated at it, unless it's a song I really like. You know, then I'm you know, right. Then it kind of eases my mind. But you know, you, you you need to to look at at the the brands that you're carrying, the the colors in your pro shop. I mean, it's uh, you know what is going to appeal to this younger person. But again, if you put all your all your heads your bets on there, then you alienate your older members. You know, so it's got to be a blend that will bring some of the new blood in. And, and I know that we, you know, we've done this in the past at a couple of clubs we were at. We we called them young professionals. And if they were under 40 years old, they got this great break, you know, and, and they joined for a monthly fee. And the monthly fee was quite affordable based on you can come out and play whenever you want. So what you pay for a monthly fee was typically what you'd pay maybe for two rounds of golf in Scottsdale in peak season. So for less than that, you could join this club. If you're 40 years and younger, you'd be able to play as much as you want, which included your cart, your range balls, and everything. But I think, you know, maybe you open up the music on the range. I mean, everybody seems to have fun at Top Golf. If you've ever gone, it's, it's, it's an experience, you know. Right. But, the, but the other thing right. that, that, that Top the other thing that Top Golf does is is I was talking to the general manager of one in Austin, Texas, and he said every single Top Golf uh, sells more liquor than anywhere else in the county they're located. He said, "Let me give you an yeah, example." Yeah, I can believe it. Yeah, he said Saturday <laughs> night we had Martini Night. Okay, it was Saturday night, and it was in March in Austin, Texas, so it wasn't exactly warm. Huh. Um, he, he told me, he said, they did $177,000 that Saturday night, martini night. There are food wow. and beverage operations at golf clubs that don't do that in a year, and they did it in one night. So, 
Yeah, I, I'm not promoting doing that either. I'm just, I just know what the numbers are. So, and again, if, if somebody actually had an answer, we'd be headed in that direction. So. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, I want to throw another component in here. Uh, I want to certainly get your thoughts on this as well, but I want to throw another um, component in here because you, you brought it up earlier uh, and t- we're talking about the price and one of the other stats that they refer to here, of course, is the average price paid for an 18-hole round at a public golf facility is $34. So, uh, and that's just the average price. So there's a price factor as well. But I want to also mention very quickly too, Jamie, and then, I, and then I'm going to get you to, to share your thoughts. Um, Chuck raised a very interesting uh, point there with his, um, you know, discussion about Top Golf. One of the, the uh, panelists last week mentioned this as well. And we've talked about it a little bit before, and that is that golf needs to maybe change and start focusing not just on the golf all the time, but also on the entertainment value. Um, because the, as you talked about, Chuck, the, the, the sort of business model for golf was always the, the, the golf club membership um, sort of model, if you will, for a long time. And that's changing. The demographics of our younger golfers is changing. That's not what they're interested in. Uh, they may be at some point, but that's not what they're interested in today. And they're looking for other more interesting things to do. So, and Top Golf, golf excuse me, has just sort of hit the button. But, Jamie, what are your thoughts? Let's talk about the price point, but also uh, what are your thoughts as well about that, you know, getting into that newer niche, if you will, of, of younger golfers? What do we need to do in your thoughts? Well, clearly Top Golf has hit on a very winning combo, right? Uh, which is the entertainment, mm-hmm. and uh, people are there with their friends, they're drinking, they're eating, they're having a good time. Um, they're able to score even with, say, you know, not having golf ability necessarily, or you can hit a bad shot and it still bounces in and gets points, and you know, all that kind of good stuff. Right. Um, right. So, um, in, terms of, in terms of the relationship with Top Golf, um, I think that. Yeah, this whole notion of making golf more fun, making it more kind of a, a social experience, which it, it is for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you go out and play with your, you know, your girlfriends, your boyfriends, and, you know, maybe you're having a beer or something, and, and people are having fun. But I think that, um, for example, more, more scramble opportunities, playing golf like that, having events that are like that. You know, at casinos, they have, like, um, blackjack tournaments, right? You can go and play a tournament in the afternoon. Right. I mean, you could go and play a scramble, and that way you're having that kind of interaction, that fun with your friends. You don't necessarily have the pressure of uh, your own score. You're having a team experience and a social experience. So, I mean, I think clubs could offer more of those kinds of things that aren't only in a charity tournament situation. A lot of charity tournaments do a lot of great things, and, you know, you've got your your mulligans and your licorice and your, uh, you know, string and, you know, all kinds of different ways that you can score and, and have fun and make a strategic decision. So I think making more of those kinds of opportunities, but basically taking the clue from top golf that we need to make golf more fun um, for people. And, uh, and, and then, okay, so that, that's part of it. But, um, I also think that, yeah, looking at the kind of time and dollar investment that goes on for people is very important in how we can make golf, um, you know, more time-friendly, which a lot of places are looking at, um, you know, six hole courses or, you know, whatever. But um, just making golf kind of more time, uh, time manageable and more affordable. I think um, 
uh, using the opportunities of those 8.3 million people who are playing golf, say, at simulators or top golf or on driving ranges, and increasing the learning opportunities. So, um, you know, right. partnering with those places so and to make learning opportunities and clinics and all that sort of thing, make those things themselves more fun, make them uh, even more directly applicable to fitness and to life skills, uh, to teaching some of the business ins and outs of golf so that people are equipped to play <coughs> golf well for business. And this is something very important for millennials and the younger generation um, is to increase their your business golf capabilities. So I think it's, you know, looking into those areas that are really relevant and finding ways, and we're certainly looking at, at that, I know, in the LPGA uh, teaching division, I'm sure in the PGA as well, of how we can make our golf instruction more relevant, more fun, more accessible, and, um, and I think also to partner with places that aren't necessarily uh, <clears throat> golf courses. And then to also make those partnerships stronger between, um, say, Top Golf and, and golf courses, so that let's say you're a member of Top Golf and you know you can go and play and play with your friends uh, here at this golf course for you know X amount of dollars or whatever. But we just we really need to be, I think, current. And I think uh, as sort of golfers who we have such a purist streak in us, right? It's hard to want to even change one right. rule about. Or to think that oh my God we couldn't play 18 <laughs> holes or that par could not be 72. I mean we're we're very curious about it and I wouldn't want to dumb down golf. I wouldn't want to um, take away the whole purist factor from it. And there are certainly you know a lot of golfers who are going to keep playing the game as it's been played. But I think we also need to make golf uh, relevant and affordable and fitting the times that we're in so that we can we can involve more players and you don't ever know how many are going to also transition into more of the, the purest category as well. Right. Uh, and that's some great points as well, Jamie. Thank you. I think the other thing too is, and I've talked to some, some younger folks uh, who have expressed to me one of the things that, that kind of bothers them a little bit is is obviously with each generation there's always a difference you know people dress differently people look differently um and i think what's happened is as you just pointed out jamie that 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 sort of the golf purists don't want to change and one of the things that i hear a lot of the younger kids say in effect is well they don't want to go out and spend you know a hundred dollars on golf shoes and um, you know, have to be restricted in wearing certain clothing uh, if, you know, in order to be accepted on the golf course. Um, you know, and again, it, they want to be a little bit more free, uh, willing, if you will. And I mean, I've had some people that uh, want to go out in the golf course in flip-flops. And I mean, I wouldn't do it, but, you know, and I know that might sound a little bit extreme, but so I think there has to be certainly, uh, we're not, as you said, Jamie, we're not trying to dumb down golf. But at the same token, I think that golf has to be willing to make some changes and be more accepting of other forms uh, or other um, ideas on the golf course. And I think one of the ways to do that is instead of, excuse me, pardon me, instead of, um, you know, coming out with uh, the latest and greatest uh, resort golf course all the time, maybe we need to start um, building uh, more 
public facilities that are more affordable that don't take the, the high investments uh, that you know they once did, so that everybody can have access and and keep those costs down. And I think that communities. I mean, I can remember growing up. I didn't play for many years. I was I didn't have the access to um, uh, you know a members club and, until some years later. So I grew up on a public course. And I think kids today they go out there and they see some of these resort courses and you know they look at the price tag that comes with it and the restrictions and it's a turnoff. It, it becomes in their mind an elitist sport. It's not for me. So this is why they're gravitating to something like Top Golf because their generation, sir, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> pardon me, thinks um, you know differently than perhaps I do or somebody else does. So. You know, we have to be flexible, I think, and I think that's the challenge that the industry is trying to face right now. Um, I want to go to another question well, here. Uh, let me, can I just sorry, mention go ahead, one Chuck. more thing, Ted? Yeah, so, you so, certainly can. Uh, there, was a, there was a report that came out to earlier in the year. The last two years, golf course closings, 60% of the closings <laughs> were golf courses that were priced at $40 and under, 60% of the closings. So if you look at, let's go back to Top Golf for a minute. They don't make their money selling balls. They make their money on the food, the no. beverage, the entertainment stuff. Uh, and, and I'll give right. you, I'll give you this one quick example. You know, there's a there's a uh, uh, public course in El Segundo, California, right? So Top Golf, there's two two people bidding on this. Top Top Golf's original bid was to pay them six hundred and twenty-five thousand a year. Well, that one will drug on for five years. Top Golf's newest pitch is that, uh, and there's a company called Drive Shack that's also trying to get in. They're, you know, the, both companies, both companies, Top Golf, uh, as their suggestion is, they're going to invest forty million in privately funded capital, and they're going to pay the uh, city thirty-eight million dollars in rent over the next twenty years. Okay, well, that's more than a million dollars in rent a year, all right? But they're going to invest $40 million. Now, this is at a golf course, so they're going to have a golf course, and they're going to have top golf. And there are other facilities that right. are doing that as well. So, so again, it, it's not, it's not the, the ball sales, the $20 membership. It's not the per-hour fee, you know, the top golf charges. It's all the food and beverage stuff they sell, you know. So, yep. somehow, that's got to be incorporated. Um you know, I, I know at a couple of previous clubs, you know, the the, the the card is always out on the golf course with the beer and the sandwiches and all that stuff. You know, so you get your driving range busy enough is the first key. Uh, and then the second key is you have a bev cart right there at the driving range. Okay, they're going to stay and yeah. they're going to hit balls longer. If they stay and hit balls longer, then they're going to buy more booze, more sandwiches, whatever the case may be. So... <laughs> I just want to throw that in and go and then you the have, next question. So. And then you have the other problem. You can't get them you can't get them to leave at the end of the night, but uh, that's that's right. for another conversation. Right. 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 Um, but, no, you're exactly right. And, and just to sort of prove your point a little bit, uh, one of the other uh, stats that we talked about last week was the sort of the, the, the fact that the uh, golf course supply has actually declined uh, by 1.5% mm-hmm. uh, with the o- opening of only 55 I don't know how they did the half, I guess nine hole, uh, new 18-hole uh, equivalent courses, and 205 uh, course closures. 
So right. uh, basically what it was doing is a, a continuation of a course uh, a correction in supply and demand. Um, so I, I think that's the other thing, too, that has to be factored in. Uh, Jamie, I'm going to come back to you, and I want to talk about um, women in golf. And here's a couple of interesting stats, uh, both as newcomers but also uh, just in women in general. And so I'm going to read you out two stats, and I want you to comment on it. Uh, there are 5.8 million women who played golf on a course in 2017. Women account for 24% of the on-course golfer base and 41% of off-course uh, only play. So uh, off-course, what we just talked about. But also interesting in the stats is newcomers to golf are increasingly diverse. 35% are female, 26% are non-Caucasian, and 70% are under the age of 35. So we've got two areas here. We've got uh, quite a, an increase. 35% of new golfers, newcomers to the sport are female. Um, and again, 26% uh, of newcomers are non-Caucasian. So you've got a, a mixture of, of different races. Um, but also 70% uh, of those newcomers are under 35. So, those stats do kind of support, Jamie, the fact that the younger generation is interested in playing golf, that they want to come out, they want to play there, but for some reason, traditional golf is not hooking them. They're coming out and they're going to other areas like we just talked about. So what do you think of those stats there, um, both positive and negative? What do you think? I think that they're very, very important information for the golf industry. And for me, I find that they're encouraging meaning that golf mm -hmm. is, is in fact, broadening out from kind of being the, the gentleman-only sport, uh, the white gentleman-only sport, um, shall we say. Right. And, I mean, if you take a business perspective, you go, hmm, you know, where are, where's a, a market, say, that we can grow? And clearly, um, you know, moving beyond just Caucasian golfers, um, moving beyond only men and appealing to the younger generation, these are – these are market areas, if you will, where, you know, we can grow the game. Uh, there were, this is kind of interesting. Back in, I think, 2000, when I was doing some research for some of my key golf materials, I found an article in the um, Wall Street Journal. And the title of it was, golf is, uh, The Unboom in Golf. The Unboom in Golf. Golf is booming, except that it isn't. And this was in 2000. It was kind of the height of Tiger Mania. And there were a lot of statistics about how spectatorship was growing. I mean, Tiger clearly interested a lot of people to watch golf, but that the actual sort of entry attrition rate in golf was remaining the same, 3 million in, 3 million out every year. And that, um, you know, there was, it was kind of a, an illusion that the game was really growing. And so the, the research that you're citing and the statistics that you're citing and the trend for more women to be golfing, for more, um, you know, minorities to be golfing for, we know that the golf is expanding globally so that there are, you know, a lot of other nationalities and countries that are, um, you know, uh, playing golf and that are showing up on tours and, and which is just so fantastic. We know that our junior programs are huge and that they're really successful. The LPGA's USGA LPGA Girls Golf Program has been expanding and expanding. I was part of starting a, a LPGA Girls Golf Program in Encinitas, California, gosh, over 15 years ago. 
and uh, it's still going. And at that time, there were oh, just shy of 200 girls' golf sites. We've more than doubled, even tripled that. And the goal of wow. having, I think, we're, you know, we're getting up to like 100,000 girls are, are playing in, uh, and, you know, participating in these golf programs where they're learning to golf, they're playing golf, they're getting prepared to play on high school golf teams, they're on college golf teams. There are golf scholarships out there that aren't even being used, if you can believe it. So, you know, there's so much opportunity, and kids and parents are realizing that. The quality of junior golf is just, you know, it, it, it's crazy. When I think about when I was a junior golfer, and my brother and a couple friends, boys, friends played, and there were two other girls who played, right? And we, we didn't have any mm-hmm. golf you know, junior programs to speak of. I mean, that was some decades ago. Today there are right. golf camps and golf programs and there's co-ed ones and there's girls only and uh, it, it, it's fantastic. And there are just like legions of kids with incredible golf swings on them and who are really getting a great golf education as well as an education in the character building aspects of golf in the uh, educational opportunities, the competitive opportunities. Uh, some want to prepare for tour golf. Obviously the vast majority aren't or aren't going to make it to there, but, having a good solid golf game is an incredible advantage in the business world. And younger people are realizing that whether they're, they're still kids uh, growing up or they're in their twenties and their thirties and they're getting out there in the business world. They're going, wow, you know, golf, playing golf and having a good golf game is, is a, a business skill these days. So uh, the fact that those, those uh, demographics are growing, I think it makes a ton of business sense. I think it's exciting, and I think it's also a reflection of where I can at least say from the TNCP, the teaching and club division in the LPGA, and I, I think too in the PGA, we've really been putting focus, and we're we're having success. You know, we're we're interesting yep. people. We are creating capable golfers. We are creating more and more opportunities that are making the game appealing and relevant and fun and affordable. Yeah, and, and that's a, what's an interesting point there. And it, and it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, um, and I agree 100% with everything you just said. I think the other thing, Chuck, too, that a lot of these other initiatives are starting to, to show is that there are other options um, with your golf game besides playing out on the LPGA or the PGA Tour or even the Champions or Legends Tour later on. Um, there's business opportunities. Um, there's just, you know, going out there and having fun, uh, with friends and, and, uh, and maybe some coworkers or what have you. So there's a lot of different opportunities, but those are interesting stats. I want to throw one more in here, Chuck, uh, you and I, uh, a couple of old dogs here. Uh, so we can't, we can't forget those. Uh, but the number of golfers yeah. age 65 and over, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, listen, I threw myself under the bus too. So, um, but golfers, yeah. Yeah. uh, age Thanks. 65 and over, yeah. Uh, over increased 13% to 3.6 million in 2017. So this number is obviously going to continue to increase as baby boomers cross the line. So even our older golfers, those numbers are starting to go up as well, uh, just with the onset of, of baby boomers. So there's there's some exciting opportunities there, and obviously many of them uh, might be some of your more uh, traditional uh, traditionalists, if you will. Um, but let me get your thoughts first on on the other stats with with the increase in female, um, you know, to to nearly 35% of newcomers, and obviously, um, you know, uh, ca- uh, non-Caucasian as well with a diversity. I mean, we're seeing that 
Um, I, I think, to be honest, let me just say this, and then I'll get you, uh, let you get your answer. Uh, I interview, of course, uh, Tuesday mornings with Cindy Miller on my other show, uh, The Women of Golf. We have the, the pleasure of interviewing a lot of Symmetra Tour players, and it's amazing the diversity, uh, obviously on the LPJ, but on the Symmetra Tour particularly, the diversity of of non-Caucasian golfers from literally all around the right. globe. Uh, you don't see that as much on the men's tour as you do on the ladies' tours. Um, but what right. are your thoughts there? Uh, and then also uh, about uh, some of our older golfers as well, the, the stat that I just read out. Well, I would say the last 20 years at least, the highest number of new golfers coming in every year were female. They were also the highest number of people that left every year. So, so I think those mm-hmm. stats kind of balance each other out. The 25 and under, they're not coming to the golf course, so they're going somewhere. They're just not coming to the golf courses. So that goes back to how do we get these people to the course. Um, and, and as far as the, uh, you know, having different uh, ethnic groups, I mean, I think that's great because, you know, all you have to do is look at, at the LPGA, for example. I mean, the LPGA is being dominated yeah you know, by Asian and Swedish players. They're not being dominated by American players anymore. No. Um, so you have to ask yourself, right, so why so many Asian women are playing and dominating? Why isn't the same true for the Asian men? And, uh, you know, I, I think that answer, I think that answer lies in the fact that that uh, they're required to do service, just like uh, uh, Sang Moon Bay. He was rolling along pretty good, and wham, he had to go and do his two years of military service. So he's fighting his way back. Right. And, and, I, don't, and I don't think, I mean, I've witnessed this firsthand uh, down <laughs> in the uh, Orlando area because there's a, there's a big uh, training facility down there. It has a couple of golf courses with it. And any given morning, you can walk out there, and there are over 100 Asian kids every morning, uh, male and female all working on their golf games. They eat, they stop and they eat lunch and they go right back to it. And they put in eight hour days, seven days a week. Um, so that to me, that would explain, I mean, you know, I had a girl that, that, uh, used to coach and she was a, you know, she was number one player in, in Northwest Florida. She was recruited by Florida university of Florida. She played two years. She found out, Oh, this is a guy. I like guys, so she quit playing golf. <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 yeah, but I, I like the, I like the diversity. I like uh, everything about it, and and the, you know, I, I get people all the time that say, you know, I played golf when I was in my younger days, but you know, then life, work, family got in the way, so I'm going to start over again. So, so mm-hmm. I, I can see why, why the players, you know, they're starting to retire. Now you're getting some older players, so yeah. But that, but the, but again, that that average, you know, they say it's 65 years and end up. Uh, there's a there's a lot of lot of studies and statistics out there that would say that it generally starts around 57. Uh, that's your mm-hmm. your demographic market. If you're trying to if you want to reach the market from a from a business standpoint. That's a market you go after, plus you go after the juniors. Uh, and, and yes. you know, when I say go after, I don't mean that you're going out and hounding them. I mean, that's your, that's your programs. You know, and any, any mm-hmm. instructor worth their salt 
knows that it's much better to do group programs and clinics than it is to do one-offs. Um, yes. And what we always did with our junior, what we always do with our junior juniors after they're with us a couple of years, they would mentor the younger players coming in into their process. You know, so so we kind of gave them a role of responsibility. I said, okay, so you know, you came in, your game's growing, you're growing as a person. Now it's your responsibility to keep growing this game. And how how we would like for you to do it is you start mentoring these young kids. And that worked great for us, you know. Yeah, I I want to add something. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's just like the other day. So I've got a a senior that's uh, uh, playing his senior year of college golf, right? And I've had him since he was eight years old. I said, do you remember when I told you when you were eight years old? What are the four things? He said, faith, family, school, and golf. And I go, you're correct. I go, so what happens once you graduate? He goes, well, it's golf. I go, yeah, it's moved up to third now. <laughs> it's not number one. It's number three, okay? Right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> and, and, again, people's expectations of what they think they should shoot. You know, somebody say, well, how far should I hit my 700, 150, 160? I go, I don't know. That, de- that depends on several factors. You know, when Corey Pavin was, right. was playing a regular tour, uh, his his 8-iron was 138 yards, and I can recall at least half a dozen times when he holed that 8-iron from the fairway with that number. So he might huh. hit it 138. Wow. John Daly might hit it 200 yards. So, again, there is a, there is a macho factor, you know. Yeah, and that goes back to what I said earlier about playing your own game. I want to mention something right. really quickly, and then, then we got to wrap it up. Um, uh, you know, you talk about uh, you know a lot of the Asian players down in Orlando and 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 Sweden as well. Um, I had an interesting discussion the other day, actually, from a recent uh, winner on the Symmetra Tour who talked about something that that you don't hear of a lot, but um, she was part of the um, Sweden's national. Uh, golf team uh, as many of her mm-hmm. other counterparts that play out on the Symmetra tour. And what was really interesting about it is that uh, organizers from that national golf team come over here to the U S and follow their players. They actually right. come out to events, they support them. And I think this is why uh, they have actually, uh, and I've talked to a number of people about this Sweden particularly has a very strong golf presence globally. Uh, obviously, it's not quite as uh, big as the United States. But if you go through the stats from 2018 and even 2017 and look at the number of Swedish golfers that have won events, um, you will see a pattern. And everyone will tell you the same thing. They play, um, obviously, they play their own game just as we all should. But they have a great support and network system uh, back home that sometimes travel. Now they're obviously not there every game or every round or every tournament, uh, but they do come over several times a year and follow a lot of these young players around and support them in in a variety of different ways. Uh, And then they get that support, of course, when they go back home. So uh, there's a lot to say for that. And I think you're seeing that coming out of the Asian belt as well. You're seeing that sort of support and initiatives being taken uh, with their juniors uh, particularly, but uh, also with the women as well. You're seeing that on tour as well. I mean, they're dominating 
on on uh, not just the LPJ but on the Symmetra Tour as well. Um, and obviously, right. as you pointed out, Chuck, you're not seeing that obviously in the men's as well. Um, well, guys, I want to thank you uh, for for having a great discussion tonight. It was uh, very interesting and and uh, hopefully very informative for for the audience listening out there as well. Um, I'm going to give you guys just a, a minute or two very quickly to uh, let the folks know if they want to reach out uh, to either of you. Um, Jamie, I'm going to let you go first, and then uh, Chuck. Sure. Thank you, Ted, and uh, thank you both. It's really been fun to talk about uh, and to you know make bring these statistics alive. You know, what do they say and what do they, what do they mean? So right. thank you, Ted. Really interesting. Right. Um, people can reach me at www.kiigolf, K-I-A-I golf.com. They can call me at 760-492-4653, which is uh, 760-492-GOLF, or or email me, Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at kiigolf.com, K-I-A-I golf.com. I am really enjoying doing seminars and, um, you know, all kinds of fitness stuff. I have a very holistic approach, as you know, to golf instruction that Mm -hmm. is uh, game-changing. And I also do business and golf trainings and a lot of peak performance, stress management, how we manage our stress so that we can stay in our highest and best mindset and emotional state so that we can perform at our best. So, um, and I also do uh, Skype lessons and, you know, kind of uh, that way way as well. So, Happy to um, to receive any calls and emails and uh, respond directly. Thank you. All right. As always, Jamie, thank you very much. Uh, Chuck, what about you? I know uh, you're a very easy man to reach, so how can the folks reach out? And uh, you're going to be taking a little uh, road trip here um, in a little bit, uh, heading back out uh, west. Tell us a little bit very quickly about yep. that as well. Yeah, next, next weekend uh, going back out and, do another traveling school in Arizona. Did one a couple of uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, maybe up in Sedona. So they're always fun to do. Um, but you can reach me through the website, chuckevansgolf.com. There's a phone number, email, everything's right there. You can reach me on all social media at Chuck Evans, uh, Facebook at Chuck Evans, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, all that stuff. Um, but the phone number is up on my website, so you can just go there. Um, you can also um, uh, join our uh, newsletter where we keep up with all of the uh, latest and greatest what's happening in the golf world as well as some instructional guides. And you can do that through the website as well. And then we are getting ready to launch our um, video site. And you can uh, – it's not ready, so I don't want to give you the URL yet. But next time, hopefully, we talk. I'll have it. <laughs> But uh, a lot, a lot of great content up there. A lot of webinars up there because we, we do, we do tons and tons of webinars where we will have a subject and then we answer questions from the audience. So there are right now about 242 videos up there in that range, 240 plus. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting, and you can all, and you can get a 30-day uh, free trial to look at everything you want to do, and then. After that, you can make a decision whether you want to stick around month to month or not. So, But you can reach me also at Emerald Bay Golf Club here in Destin, Florida. Uh, for out-of-town guests, if they want to come in and spend a day, two days, three days, we do have a guest house available on property. It's about uh, 100 yards maybe from the driving range. Uh, just have to check availability on dates on that. So and that's about it. Perfect. So you can pretty much roll out of bed and, and hit the driving range before you go out and play a, a quick 18. Very good. Exactly. Well, Chuck and, and exactly. Jamie, thank you very much. Yeah. 
Thank you very much for joining me tonight on, on uh, Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner panel. As always, uh, we have some interesting discussion and, and uh, uh, gives people some pause to, to think about some things. And hopefully uh, everybody learned a little bit uh, tonight uh, on, uh, on the discussion. But uh, as always, thank you guys for giving of your time. I appreciate it very much. And I look forward to you guys joining me again uh, in a few weeks here on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jay. Thank it's you, always Ted. great to be on. Thank you both. All right. See you guys. All right. That was uh, my very special guest, Chuck Evans and Jamie Leno-Zimron on the Coach's Corner panel. Um, now I have the distinct pleasure and honor of welcoming back. She's actually been on the show a number of times uh, over the years. And I'm going to do a, an introduction here, and I'm going to bring her out. We've got lots to talk about tonight, so I hope, hopefully she's rested from her busy day and is uh, ready to answer a few questions. Of course, I'm talking about Meredith Kirk. Uh, she's a creative media consultant and nationally ranked LPJ teacher professional and has been awarded the best young teacher in America multiple years in a row by Golf Digest. Uh, she's also a former Mrs. South Carolina America in 2014 and also uh, achieved recognition by Golf Magazine as being selected as a top innovator in golf for her creative development of a national nonprofit junior golf program, which we're going to talk about tonight, uh, that provided fitted uh, golf equipment to youth. Uh, Meredith has also been featured in Sports Illustrated, Golf.com, as the most beautiful woman in golf, and has appeared on national radio, cable, and television programs, including, of course, the Golf Channel. Uh, she graduated from uh, Coastal Carolina University with a BA in Public Relations and a BA in Biblical Counseling from uh, Trinity Bible College. Uh, she also uh, obtained her master's degree in Christian Studies uh, from Luther Rice Seminar, uh, Seminary excuse me, in Atlanta, Georgia. And she's also authored uh, multiple books, including a golf instructional book entitled Skills Drills. Um, you can find Meredith on multiple digital platforms, including MyrtleBeachGolfTrips.com and MBN.com, representing the best of Myrtle Beach Golf as their spokesperson. And she is also a brand ambassador with Callaway Golf and Antigua uh, Apparel. So uh, let me welcome my very special guest, or should I say welcome back, uh, my special guest and friend, Meredith Kirk. Hey, Good evening, Ted, Meredith, and how welcome. Are you doing? Thank you so much. I I'm love doing... coming on your show. I was looking forward to this all day. I'm like, yay, I get to talk to Ted tonight because we need to catch up. I haven't talked to you in a while. No, it's been a while. Um, and, and I want to, and I know you've, you've, you've probably um, told this story to death, but I want you to share because there was something I, I remember back a few years ago uh, mm-hmm. when you were first running. And I want to get this, this part out of the conversation and then we'll get into to obviously uh, some of the other things. Um, sure. But I remember you you told me um, sort of on the lowdown that you were going to run for Mrs. South Carolina. And the reason why I want to ask <laughs> is it was something I was watching one of the videos recently, and I didn't know this part. But I want you to explain to the audience why you actually decided to run, the, re- the real reason behind it, uh, which probably most people would not know. And I found it very uh, endearing and very interesting. So I want you to very quickly share that story with, uh, with the audience, if you don't mind, and then we'll move on to uh, golf. Yeah, and what's interesting is you were one of the only few people I told. <laughs> I remember that because yes. I was playing around <laughs> with that idea. Um, but the, the reason why I entered the uh, Mrs. South Carolina pageant was because I had this idea about growing the game of golf uh, with the youth, I was coordinator for South Carolina at the time for PGA Junior League Golf. It, they were really in their mm-hmm. grassroots at that time. I think the PGA just got on board. 
that year that right. um, I started coordinating different teams and stuff. And um, there was a lot of families that struggled to get fitted golf equipment for their kids because, as you know, that's expensive. I mean, you know, fitted golf equipment sure. costs money, several hundreds of dollars um, at a minimum. And so I was running around the Grand Strand area here in Myrtle Beach just from our north end to the south end, trying to collect golf clubs, trying to get the correct golf clubs into the kids' hands. Of course, I did not want to give them, you know, clubs that were cut down, too stiff. And so I did some running around. I didn't mind doing that. And, but it bothered me because I thought, you know, some of these kids had uh, some great potential. But if they don't have the right golf clubs, they're going to get frustrated and they're not going to want to play yep. because what kid wants to play when they're having poor shots? And it's not, you know, it's not always the swinger. Sometimes it is the equipment. And, you know, as an instructor, mm-hmm. you know, that's our job. We need to determine, you know, is it the equipment or is it the swinger? You know, is it both? You know, sometimes it's, it's everything combined. But with these kids, you know, I had this idea of starting a nonprofit organization where kids can get fitted golf equipment at no cost. And so this idea came to me, and I thought, you know what? If I were to enter the Mrs. South Carolina pageant (laughs) and win, it would get media attention for the program. I I could tell you that it was weird, this desire I had on my heart, because I thought, I have never been in a pageant. I'm not a pageant girl. I did not know how to apply makeup properly. I did not know how to walk in six-inch heels, and I certainly didn't know – how to pose in a bikini and a two-piece um, <laughs> and do the right turns and everything. But when you're passionate about something and you know in your heart that you're called to it, you will do the footwork. You will do everything that it takes to do the best that you could do. And the funny thing is I never thought right. I was going to win that weekend. I think I told you that. Like I went and the women right. <laughs> that I was competing with, they – were not only were they just drop dead gorgeous these women, but they they were beautiful inside and out. I mean, just so just on every level, incredible women. In fact, when I met them, well, one when I saw them, I said, "Oh, I'm not going to win." But when I met them and got to, <laughs> and got to know them, I said, "There is no way I have a chance." And I actually was glad I didn't tell many people I entered because I was like, "I am not going home with the crown." And you know what? By God's grace, I did. So that's a miracle. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, and what's interesting about it too, and I said I watched the video off your website about that, and I remember you telling me. Um, you know, we actually were talking on the phone. This is, I think, I think you had already been on once as a guest before. And I think there was something that I forget now what it was we were talking about and you sort of let it slip out and you said, well, make sure you don't tell anybody. And of course I didn't, but what was interesting <laughs> about, and I, and the reason why I'm, I'm pointing this out was, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it was literally uh, about what, six weeks before the contest when you decided to enter. So it's not like you had been practicing or doing whatever to, to enter in this thing, you know, months and months, months. It was literally only a few weeks before the, the uh, contest uh, for exactly. South Carolina, and, and you won. Yeah. yeah, it was probably about, yeah, about six to eight weeks. And all right. I can tell you is I was binging on YouTube videos on makeup and how to walk in heels. And we have hardwood floors in our house. And all my husband would hear was click, 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 click. 
It was just me walking in heels all the time. I wore them when I cooked dinner. And, I mean, it is a technique. When you have heels that are six inches, you know, you don't walk on the heel. You walk on the toe. And so it's learning how to walk. And so I basically took crash courses on YouTube on all this patent stuff I could get my hands on. And then I studied. I studied prior winners. That's the key. You know what? That's the key at anything, whether it's golf, whether you're doing a pageant. Mm-hmm. You study the best. You watch what they do, and you emulate that. And, and, but you add your, right. own, your, your own personality to it, your own self to it. You know, you don't want to be someone else, but you can emulate those qualities that you want to – and that's sure. what I did. I was like, okay, I want to walk like her. I want to talk like her, <laughs> you know, and I just watched the people I admired <laughs> the most and, and then had my own flair to it, I guess. I got lucky. <laughs> well, it was a well-deserved win, and I know – uh, you put uh, more than 100% into it. It was, as I said, well-deserved. Um, I, 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 and, and I guess selfishly I wanted to share that because I, th- I found it very interesting and, again, very endearing, Meredith, because, um, you know, you, you, this is not something – I mean, if anybody's ever entered something like that, I mean, you're literally putting yourself out there, and it's not an easy thing to do. But you, what was very sweet about it was that you did it not for your own – you know, hey, look at me and, and, you know, building yourself up. This was really for something that you were passionate about um, over here and you creatively found a way to say, hey, I can get attention for what really is, is close to my heart. And I like mm-hmm. the fact that you did that and, uh, and we're very, um, you know, selfless about it. So um, kudos to you for, for that. Uh, All right, so let's talk about um, – you're, you're always welcome – so let's talk about, uh, you've got a new website, and we're going to give that link out here uh, in just a second. But I have to ask you um, sort of how you came up with the name. Uh, obviously, it's MeredithKirkCoaching.com uh, is the website. Um, mm-hmm. But you refer to it as the quintessential coaching. So first off, mm-hmm. what is quintessential coaching? Give us a, sort of the, the short answer of it. And then there's some things I want to specifically break down that, from, that I saw on your site mm-hmm. that I found very interesting. Sure. Yeah. So um, this word, it, it's funny, you know, I, I love creative stuff and, you know, I, I love creating new things, coming up with new ideas or ways to present things in a new light. So um, I've always been pretty creative um, when it comes to things like that. And so sometimes words, you know, kind of get in my head, you know, I start thinking about something and um, just my mind kind of goes down, you know, 10 miles down the road with it. And, and the word quintessential has been in my, my mind for about three years. And um, I love that word. <laughs> it's one of my favorite words. I just kind of got stuck on it. And quintessential means the essence of something the, in the purest mm-hmm. form. And a lot right. of my students, um, you know, I've in golf as an instructor, I mean, I've been teaching two decades now. You, as you, the more you instruct, and I know if there's any instructors listening, I know that they can relate to this. You start to develop. You really get confident with what you're good at as an instructor. You develop a niche. And, you know, for many years as an instructor, I was kind of doing everything from club fitting to um, putting, you know, chipping, bunker, you know, just I would say I was basically um, on all aspects, you know, pretty equal. But what I have found, mm-hmm. especially the last three years, is I really have developed a niche in my instruction now. My niche is the fundamentals of the game. 
So this word quintessential right. to me is the, 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 the essence. And with golf, the fundamentals are the essence of the swing. What I have found is this. So when I'm working with a student, I always go back to the fundamentals. So if I see an issue, let's mm-hmm. say at the top of the swing, or just, there's something going on in transition, um, let's say they're getting too steep during transition, and I see how that's affecting right. the ball flight, impact, et cetera. What I do is I always go back to the pre-motion components, go back to the very beginning, and then I work <clears throat> this swing out. And so it's, it's basically my method of instruction, and I have found I've gotten really good at this the last three years, narrowing, narrowing issues down in the swing so that the student doesn't have to keep coming back week after week after week. It's almost, and I'm, I'm a good steward of money too, because I am a mother. I do have three kids <laughs> and I try to make, I try to make golf lessons affordable. I, I, I just have issues with charging too much for a golf lesson because I love teaching so much. I want people Right. experience a quintessential golf lesson with me first and foremost. I want everybody to experience that lesson where it's just really focused on the fundamentals. And also when you, when you focus on the fundamentals like that, it, you, you know, you knock out so many different other issues, you know, um, so where mm-hmm. students don't have to keep coming back. You know, sometimes I'll have students that come to me saying, you know, I was getting lessons every other week for six months. And I'm like, what? You know what? Let's just have one lesson. Call me in two weeks and let's see where you're at. Um, Because, you know, golf, if you have the quintessentials, you have everything you need to be a successful golfer, to go out there and have fun. So that is what quintessential means to me, and that is why my new website now is um, Meredith Meredith Coaching. It's the quintessential golfer. So you'll see that a lot on my website, that word. Yeah, I, I noticed that, and that's why I pulled it off. Um, and, and I like the the fact that that you you know you've explained you know that you you really have sort of found your niche because and and you kind of get into your own groove as, as a as a coach and and teacher professional. You know, you, you when you're first sort of getting into the the industry, you're kind of all over the place as as a coach or or teacher, and you're not really sure um what's going to work and what's not going to work and and as you said you sort of gain experience and some focus you know might focus on the short game some focus on other areas of the game um but you never can go wrong i mean some of the best golfers in the world jack nicholas comes to mind always focused on the the fundamentals of the game Mm -hmm. i mean that's what he he came out of you know when the when the golden bear came out from uh you know for the spring thaw you know he wasn't uh you know working necessarily on anything specific other than the fundamentals and right. that's what he worked on to get ready uh, for a new season. Now, of course, golf now goes pretty much all year round. But um, and you, you've sort of, in a great way, led up to this. And I want to ask you about some things. And, and just to, and again, I know people can go and see on your website and that. But I want to talk about a few specific things. Um, you've, sure. you've really adopted a very unique approach here to golf. And here are some of the areas that you observe in the quintessential golfer. And I'm going to read a few of them off, and then I want you to comment on really what you're looking for. Of course, first and foremost, of course, is equipment. Uh, we all mm-hmm. have to make sure that the equipment's uh, fitted properly. Uh, but you talk about things like mindset uh, and obviously a warm-up routine and even learning styles. Talk about those three. The equipment, I think we all kind of understand about that. You can certainly touch on it if you want. But uh, talk about mindset, what you're looking for there, and warm-up routine and also the learning style uh, because obviously everybody is different. Talk a little bit about those. 
Um, okay, so starting with the warm-up uh, routine, that is really important um, because most golfers don't warm up. I mean, they get to the golf course. No. Um, sometimes, you know, they'll hit a few balls, and they'll go straight to that full swing. Sometimes they'll go straight to driver when they get to the course, and you really don't want to do that. First and foremost, um, you always want to prevent injury, you know. I don't – it doesn't matter the age. Right. You know, whether you're, you're a youth, you're a high school, college – um, or your, you know, retired plane, we always want to prevent injury. So that's always first and foremost as an instructor, always looking for ways that we can prevent people from saying, ah, my back, my back went out. Now I can't play golf for a few weeks, you know. Um, but really warming right. up, loosening up the muscles and ligaments, even if it's five minutes, makes a huge difference. And that actually leads into mindset. Uh, because if you actually get to the course, don't warm up. You get out. It's going to be a rough three or four holes getting warmed up. I mean, it's going to be that fourth or fifth mm-hmm. hole where you're finally saying, oh, okay, I'm, I'm kind of getting into my rhythm now. Um, now, I'm, now I'm feeling like I'm playing golf, you know. Um, and we, I'm sure you've experienced mm-hmm. it. I've experienced it. There's plenty of times I've sure. not warmed up, and I've, and I've regretted it. I've, get, I've yep. gotten out there, and it's gotten, yep. it's gotten in my mind, <laughs> you know. I'm guilty, too. So I'm preaching to the choir here. But, yeah, me, too. Um, <laughs> but when you when you know golf is all about to me having good routines, trusting in your mm-hmm. routines because when you can trust in your routines, and and everything seems to be crumbling even in your mind. If you know if there's if you're struggling, if everything's just kind of you're melting and you're out there and you're like ah oh, you're having a rough day, <laughs> you can trust routines. So it's almost like when you have right. a good pre-shot routine, when you have a good warm-up routine, when you have a good mindset routine, you can, when you get to that point of things are not going well, <clears throat> you just hit the reset button, you do the routine, and it gets you back into that rhythm and tempo, so to speak. So, again, having a good um, warm-up routine is great. For the mindset um, aspect, routines a pre-shot routine that is huge in fact i i had i taught right. uh, a lot today i gave a lot of lessons today and i'm always teaching <laughs> in almost every single lesson a pre-shot routine because with the pre-shot routine um i call it elimination golf let's eliminate as many problems as possible in our pre-shot routine <clears throat> how do we do that let's talk about aim let's talk about alignment um, you know, intended target, you know, you hit all these points. So if you get nervous, if you have anxiety, let's say you're competing and you're dealing with um, adrenaline dropping, you know, you know that feeling um, mm-hmm. when you're out there, if you're competing, yep. you know, your, your adrenaline gets going. These, you have these bodily functions that naturally, these chemicals <laughs> that, are, that are taking place out there. And when that starts to happen, you know, it's, it, you've got to trust in your routines. The pre-shot routine, if I always tell my players, if you develop a solid pre-shot routine, it's going to eliminate a lot of mindset issues. It really will because you're going to trust your routine. You're going to build your confidence in, your, in yourself when you go through this routine because basically if you go through a good pre-shot routine and you hit all your checkpoints on the fundamentals and what you're working on in your game, all you have to do is relax, and, and put a nice, easy swing on it. You know, that's it. You want to get to that yep. point in your mindset to where you eliminate all the issues and you put an easy swing on it. So that's, that's where, that's, yeah. you know, what I, and that's how I teach um, my students with that. 
Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic, and you're, and you're exactly right. I think it's important um, really for any time that you prepare yourself, regardless of what it is you're doing, whether you're playing golf or, or uh, business or what have you, the better prepared you are, obviously, the, the more successful you're going to be down the road. Um, and, and I like some of the other things that you talk about. You know, we hear a lot of sort of the traditional, uh, you know, verbiage, if you will, in golf. And, and one of the things I liked about your website is you use a lot of terminology that really gets to the root of, of what people need to understand if they want to play their best golf. Like, for instance, you talk about swing styles and, and having goals, um, how important they are. Um, obviously, everybody has a different swing. Uh, we're all uniquely mm-hmm. different, our body types, and, and, you t- and you address those as well. And we don't have to get into every single one of them. But, but sure. uh, again, you know, swing styles are different. But even the right. importance of having goals. I mean, when you're going to go out exactly. and you're going to play 18 or if, even if you're just going to play nine, have a goal. So talk a little bit about that. How do you, how do you sort of break that uh, down uh, when you're, you know, doing your lessons? Okay, well, goals are huge, and I always discuss goals prior to a lesson. So once I meet a student, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I get to know them. Um, obviously, I always want to make sure we're uh, protecting the student from injuries, you know, good warm-up. You know, I always like to find out, too, if students have had prior surgeries, knee surgeries, elbow surgeries, wrist surgeries, you know, if there's modifications. Um, that need to be made, but you know, when it comes to hold on, wh- which which component are we talking about right now? You goals. You just mentioned goals. Goals. There we go. Okay. See, here oh, I am. I'm I'm an yes. instructor. I'm going through my whole routine right now. So okay. So getting to the goals. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, my mind started going on okay. um, learning styles and everything. So yeah. So with goals and everything, you want to know what your goals are. What is your purpose? I mean, what are you striving for? So. Um, when it comes mm-hmm. to just hitting out on a range, again, knowing what is your intended target? What do we want to make, you know, let's say we're working through a bag. And when I say working through a bag, I like to work through my students' clubs. So maybe 10 balls with each club. As we're working through with mm-hmm. each club, let's set a goal of maybe six out of 10 of those balls going within 12 yards of our intended target. So that's, that's an example right. of something that I would do on the range with a student. Now, their personal goals on what they want to accomplish with golf. Um, I'll often Mm -hmm. say, well, what are you shooting right now? What would be your ideal round of golf? What does that look like to you? Oh, man, my – and they'll say my ideal round of golf is uh, maybe breaking 95 and not going out of bounds as much or not putting as much. Okay, all right, so let's say hypothetically right now you're shooting 105, you want to break 95, How are we going to get from point A to point B? And so it's setting the goal of, okay, so last time you played golf, you had how many putts? Let's reduce your putting by three or four strokes. Let's make that one goal right there. You know, let's let's tighten up your putting a little bit. And let's get you a little bit more consistent where you're not going out of bounds. You know, if your shot is still going, you know, if it's still spraying a little bit, okay, can we tighten the ball dispersion? That's a goal. Let's tighten your ball dispersion Mm -hmm. so you feel like when you get on the course, you have more control when you're out there. And you feel like on the putting green that, you know, no more than two putts per hole. Okay? So that's keeping that as a goal. So that's really important because when a golfer starts to make those goals, they're so excited. Of course, my students, I'm so close to all my students. I'm telling you, I truly have the best students. And they're all my friends. They all become my <laughs> friends. They're te- 
texting me, emailing me every day. I'm getting, you know, stories. Oh, I played this course and did this. But they right. build their confidence. It builds their confidence, and they get so excited. And when you're having fun, you know this. You play better golf. Mm-hmm. So the goal is well, you don't want to set the goals. Yeah, you don't want to set the goals unrealistic. You want to just slowly. It's like how do you eat an elephant? You eat an elephant one bite at a time. I always tell my students that right. one bite at a time. <laughs> so, um, so a month from now. It's like, and I, and I give them, you know, all of my students, I usually say, okay, so a month from now, let's try to hit this goal. Four months from now, let's look at that goal. And then a year from now, we can make that goal. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I have some students that play competitively and some that are wanting to get on tour and um, some are wanting to get on the men's senior tour. And I have one I'm working with right now. That's his goal next summer. And we're working toward that and mm-hmm. we're getting there. Um but it's, again, setting realistic goals, not too high. But as long as you're progressing, that's great. As long as you're progressing. And then, listen, sometimes you get to a point where you plateau, where you hit all of right. the goals and you go through a plateau period. Nothing wrong with that. But to me, that's great. You hit that plateau. You're getting really consistent. You're getting confident. You're getting comfortable. Hey, that's three C's. I like that. <laughs> but um, those, plateaus, those plateaus, though, are great, too. But it's the regressing is um, the most important aspect, I think, of being an instructor is when you start to see a student regress. What's going on there? Let's find right. out what's in regression. Yeah, and, and I think what a lot of that um, equates to, Meredith, is is the fact, and this is what causes a lot of the frustration with so many golfers out there, is they they sort of hit that plateau and they don't know where to go from here. And I think ideally what you want is you want to continually challenge yourself as a golfer. And we as instructors want to make sure that our students are being challenged. And that doesn't mean overwhelmed or, or scared or fearful, uh, but we want to keep them challenged and always, as you said, taking that next step forward and, and moving forward. And, and I think one of the ways, as you said um, very eloquently, is, is – you know, setting realistic goals. And I think the key thing that's hurt the industry, unfortunately, is, is not allowing people or making people understand that whatever goal they set might be okay for them, but that doesn't mean it's going to be okay for somebody over here. So we have to be unique and we have to be sort of individual in a sense. And I think a lot of times what Students do is I say, well, I watched so-and-so on TV the other day, and, uh, you know, maybe I watched Tiger Woods. I like to swing like him, or, or I saw, you know, somebody else over here, and they want to emulate exactly. But maybe their body type or their body style or even their swing style uh, isn't conducive for that. So we have to make sure that, that uh, we keep them in sort of a realistic um, frame of mind, if you will, for their game and then help them grow to right. the best that they can be. And it, you, know, you know what I mean? And that's not, that sometimes is a, can be a difficult balancing act because people see, you know, with, especially with this um, social media age, YouTube and things like that, you know, people see all kinds of, of videos and whatnot. I'm sure you get questions all the time. Well, I saw this on YouTube. What do you think about that? And sometimes it may not always be accurate information. So, you know, we have to exactly. sometimes be careful uh, about the, what, what people are seeing. Um, right. And you now, never. I also found interesting on your. Never, oh, sorry. 
I was just going to say, no, go ahead, student Mary. never learns by comparison. As a teacher, I, right. I, I've learned you never compare someone to someone else, whether it's a tour player or, you know, another yeah. club member. But n- I've learned this. Nobody learns by comparison, not even myself. If somebody said to me, oh, Meredith, you know, um, look at so-and-so, you know, blah, you know, she does this. Why don't you try that? No, thank you. That's that's not going to work for me, no. and it doesn't it doesn't work for anybody else um, when it comes to comparing golf swings and this and that because we truly are unique um, as golfers. I mean, right. golf swings to me are like fingerprints. <laughs> you can't you can't mm-hmm. emulate one <laughs> golf swing exactly the same to somebody else. It's an impossibility. No. There's always going to be these idiosyncrasies within the swing that you just can't pin yep. down, but. Um, anyway, but yeah, comparison, right. it doesn't work. <laughs> right. No. And that's, that's true. And, and also to every, everybody's body rhythm is different. Um, you know, body types are different. You've got like, as an example, you've got somebody like a Freddie couples or an Ernie L's that are a little bit more, uh, smooth sort of, um, you know, even though they do have, um, you know, uh, generate high club head speed, it's a very slow and sort of smooth, um, rhythm to their bodies. And then you get somebody like a Nick price, uh, who's got sort of a more of a jerky type swing. I know I'm dating myself here with some of these players, but um, but <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. You You've got different. <laughs> you are. But, you know. That's awesome. I love but, it. No, because I, I grew up with them. But, I grew up with that crew. So. I know. I know. Um, so, but you know what I'm talking about. You've got different. So, yeah. so somebody that maybe, um, you know, has a more, um, and I say relaxed body rhythm, like, a, like an Ernie L's, to try and teach them to hit like a, a Nick Price or vice versa, it's just not going to work. And and I always believe, and I'm sure you do as well, is is I want to make sure that when they go out that they're practicing with a purpose at all times. I want to make sure that they've got a specific purpose. And in your case, I know you're, you're using the, the term goal, um, so that when they're practicing, they're practicing with those goals in mind. And I think that's extremely important, as, as you pointed out. Um, I want to move to the quintessential golf wheel. I thought this was very – and again, we're talking about some of the basics – uh, uh, of learning and, and what we're going to be um, talking about here, but um, you've, you've developed the quintessential golf wheel, and on there, of course, you talk about driver, long game, pitching, chipping, putting, the usual, um, uh, you know, culprits, if you will, and that's just mm-hmm. really to, to give people a, f- a foundation of some of the skills that they're going to need to develop in order to go out and play their best golf. Correct? Yes. Yes, and the level of their importance too. I don't have. I'm actually not looking. I don't have my computer in front of me right now. But I know. yes, I know. I, I yeah, I know what that is on my page. But yeah, it's the level of you know how much time and energy is going to be going to each of those stages, each of on that wheel. So one yeah, area, exactly. for example, you know, putting, putting, you know, that's going to be a little bit bigger. You know, there's some areas, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bunker, you know, sand play is going to be smaller on the wheel, but it's all part of that right. full, the full component of the swing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's very well laid out. And I like the way that you uh, incorporate that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that this is something else that we have to help people understand is about the importance of different parts of their game. I mean, I don't know how many times, I know you see it all the time. I mean, obviously Myrtle Beach being the golf capital of the world, you see all kinds of people coming out there trying to, uh, you know, battle their with their best game on, on multiple, you know, hundreds and hundreds of golf courses in the Myrtle Beach area. 
and they get out there in the driving range and they maybe pull one or two clubs out of the bag and that's all they hit and then they expect to go out there and play and they don't work on any part of their game. Uh, and I know you don't always have time when you're going before a round, um, but usually it's the driver, especially as a guy, you know, that's the culprit that a lot of guys do. They pull the driver and they want to hit, you know, a dozen or so really good drives and they might go and pull their putter out and hit a couple of short putts or something like that. And then that's it. They don't work on their bunker play. They don't work on any other parts of their game. And this is something that I imagine, Meredith, that you try to really emphasize um, with with some of your students, correct? Oh, absolutely. You know, working on all aspects. And I know sometimes that putting can be boring to practice. And You know, it. I've, right. I'm a pretty high-energy person. When I have to practice my putting, I'm like, oh, sometimes I put my headphones in um, <laughs> when I'm practicing because I, I almost need the distraction. I, I like a lot of noise around me. Um, but it can be a little, mm-hmm. you know, redundant and boring. And so people who are more higher energy, more fast-paced, struggle with the commitment of that, and I get it. Um, I'm like that. Um, But I always encourage my students, listen, even if it's 10 minutes or even if you're motioning out at home, you're not even at the golf course, getting in the setup, let's say um, for the sand, you know, getting in that setup, motioning out, that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, just keeping that muscle memory going, motioning out, putting at home. You know, you you don't necessarily have to hit a ball. Sometimes wiffle balls are great at home in your backyard. I do that actually myself. Sometimes I'll go in the backyard and just mow now <laughs> and I'll hit some wiffle balls. Um, that's powerful for me. Just looking in a mirror, just making some swings. Right. You know, if you can't get to the course and practice all the time, that is, mm-hmm. you know, there is something to that. Okay. So it's not a waste of time motioning out and just keeping that muscle memory flowing when it comes to your setups for chipping or whether you're in the bunker or putting, but it is important to get out there and practice all the aspects of the game. With my students, I will work with them. One, I keep, I have them keep track. Um, a lot of them, when they're really struggling with their scores of where all their shots are at, that way we can kind of see where the issues are at. And then at that mm-hmm. point, keep track of what it looks like moving forward, like after lessons, um, whether it's a reduction in putting strokes or maybe it's getting out of – out of the bunker some students have trouble getting out of the bunker it's again learning the proper fundamentals the setup motioning out creating Mm -hmm. that uh, muscle memory and then spending at least you know 10 or 15 10 or 15 minutes practicing that even if it's just again once a week forcing yourself to get in a practice bunker for 10 or 15 minutes but you will see a difference and you'll build confidence in the bunker you know it's all about just building that confidence too right and that's like with anything in life i mean you you know you build confidence um you know in whatever job you have you mean you get trained in in a certain field and you get out there and it's through repetition and doing that job day in day out that you develop skills and over time you know 10 20 years whatever um you i won't say necessarily become an expert but you become very uh, competent at whatever it is you're doing. And it's the same thing with golf. I mean, what always frustrates me, and I'm sure anybody that's in the teaching side of, of golf, is, you know, somebody will come for a lesson, you'll explain and work through some of the components that, that we're talking about here, and then they'll go away and they won't pick up a golf club for three and a half weeks, and they've got a corporate event or they've got some tournament coming up that they're really excited about and jazzed up about, 
and they'll come in for a quick lesson before they've got to go and I say, okay, well, great. What have you been working on? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I did this and I had that and I couldn't really get out to the golf course. And then they expect to have success in their event. Right. And they wonder why they're frustrated, right? And I mean, I know we all, I well. uh, you I know, that get that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I and, mean, and that, you I know, have, and, and it just. Yeah, I have a lot of students like yeah. that, that, that do that, 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 well, and things come up, you know, life, you know, we all get busy, things come up. And, sure. And a lot of times it's unintentional. You know, oh, I got busy doing, you know, it's whether it's family or friends or work or something. And, um, but, but yeah, you know, you really have to, you have to take responsibility for your own game. You can't put it on your instructor to do a quick fix no. or you, you can't put it on anybody else. It's you take responsibility for your game. And, and, and if you own yeah. it and you don't play well because you haven't <clears throat> been practicing, then own it to say, you know what, it is what it is. So I can't expect to go out there and shoot the scores I want when I'm not playing. Even even myself, I I have learned I can't do that to myself. Even as a professional, um, I can't go out with unrealist, unrealistic expectations myself. I can't go say, oh, I hope I shoot par today, and I haven't played golf in a month, haven't played one round. It, <laughs> should I go out and expect myself to, to, be a scra- to play no, scratch? No, of course not. No. I'll probably say to no. myself, man, if I can break 82, today is a great day because I haven't played in like four right. weeks or something <laughs> like that, you know. So, you know, I, I'll I'll shoot high just because I know that if I don't hit a goal, I'm going to be like, ah, oh, I shouldn't even play. <laughs> you know, you get in this negative right. mindset. So, yeah. Right, exactly. And it's the same for, and, and it's the same thing even at the at the professional level with some of the tour players. Um, you know, when they, when we actually used to have an off season and we don't really have one anymore, but, um, and you know, they'd be doing other things for a few months. And of course they're still practicing a little bit, but they'd be a little bit rusty coming out early in the season. Um, and it, mm-hmm. it would take them a little bit of time to, to sort of get into their rhythm. So obviously if, if some of the best players in the world are experiencing that, we certainly can't expect that we're not going to, you know, run into those same, uh, you know, issues that, that they do. Um, they're just able to recover a little faster than the average uh, golfer out there because they have the, the core uh, understanding and fundamentals built in, and it's just a matter of, of you know, um, getting out there and, and re-energizing that muscle memory. But um, I want to move on to a couple things here because I want to give you a chance to sure. talk about a few other things as well before uh, we wrap it because this time, I can't believe, it is, is zipping by real fast here. So, um, <laughs> it always does with you. When, it when always we, goes by. I know. <laughs> I know. When we – when we last spoke, uh, you were just getting ready uh, to launch your book, Skills Drills. How's it doing? Are you happy uh, with with what's been going on so far? And is there going to be a follow-up book? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Skill Drills is doing awesome, and you know you can you can actually download that book for free. Um, it's a, a free book by MyrtleBeachGolfTrips.com. I collaborated with them, and um, which is great. You can go to the website. It's uh, MyrtleBeachGolfTrips.com, and then it's hashtag a Skill Drills. So, and you can go to my website, MarisKirkCoaching.com. Click on Skill Drills, and you can see the actual place. You can go and download it for free in a PDF. However, a lot of students are purchasing the book in a in the spiral bound which I offer in full color oh, wow. uh, because uh, yeah one of my students 
was like, you need to get this in an actual book to where I can lay it down on the driving range and then flip the page while I'm working on drills. And so anyway, um, I had a couple students that actually got it spiral bound themselves. They printed it off on the PDF and then they went and got it um, spiral bound. And they're like, you know, you really should offer this to people. It really is great. Throw it in your golf bag. And so I did that. So um, I have that in spiral bound um, on the website. I offer that, or you can just pull it up on your mobile device and use it when you're, when you're out practicing uh, your game. So yeah, skill drills is going great. I would love to do a follow-up because oh, so many other things I would love to do like a quintessential right. book and really focus on, um, you know, just the fundamentals, the quintessentials of the game and sure. really go dig, dig deep mm-hmm. on those. So yeah, that, that would be a great idea for a follow-up, but it's going great. Well, just keep me in mind when you do that, and uh, I would love a copy when it comes out. Um, no, that's fantastic. I'm, you know, this is the thing that I, I like about um, a lot of the things that you do, Meredith. You know, I, I watch what you do as far as golf is concerned. You know, I've seen and, and obviously known about you for a number of years now, but, you know, you always sort of reinvent and, and really think about different things on how you want to approach it. And, you know, it's not just another golf book and it's not just, uh, you know, another website. You actually put a lot of thought and a lot of creativity into to doing this to make sure that um, you're sort of putting your, your best foot forward. And, right. um, you know, there, there's a thousand, you know, and there's so much on social media right now, as, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, some of it certainly is good but there's a lot of repetitiveness and you actually take the time to really think it through as to what you want yeah. to put out there. And I like, you know what I'm saying? And that's important. And, and that I know is as a result of tapping into your faith. I know you've talked about that with me before. Um, mm-hmm. Your faith is, is obviously extremely important and I'm going to give you a moment or two to talk about that. Um, but before we do that, we'll sort of end on that, but I, I want to talk about one other thing here and then, and then mm-hmm. we'll get into to a little bit about your faith. But, um, just because I saw it on your website and I want to give you a chance to promote it. Uh, in 2019, uh, up in my country, Canada, uh, you're going to be, uh, I'm assuming, hosting or you're planning on a golf and travel adventure with Meredith Kirk. Tell us a little bit yes. about that. Okay, so I teamed up with uh, Women's Golf and Travel. And I don't know if mm-hmm. you know this amazing woman, but her name is Barb Goodstat. And what she does yes, is I do. she's really Okay, Barb is awesome. She's really growing the game, and just bravo to her. Mm-hmm. Just recently, she she brought over 80 women to Myrtle Beach to play in the World Am. I mean, she just rallied. She knows how to rally the lady golfers together oh, yeah. and, do, and do some really fun things. So um, she and I have been friends uh, for the past few years, actually, even when I was Mrs. South Carolina. And she asked me to uh, host a golf clinic here for many of those ladies that came to the World Am. And so we were um, just discussing golf and growing the game. And she said, you know, I would love for you to host a trip uh, to Canada next year and do some instruction uh, with the ladies out on the course, some Mm. video analysis, golf instruction, a golf clinic, and just have fun. Just go have fun. I mean, it's not just golf. Sure. uh, Going hiking, going to state parks, and, and having a really good time. And I said, well, you have asked the right person because I am all game for adventure. (laughs) So, yes, so I'm really excited about it because, I mean, I love instructing women. I love 
growing the game, whether it's youth or whether it's women getting um, more of those groups out there on the course. So it's something I'm passionate about. And so, yeah, I'm excited about this trip next year and actually might have a lot of other locations coming soon on that, but I'll keep you posted. Sounds good. Now, where in Canada have, have they got a specific area that you're going to? Uh, where is it going to happen? Or has that not okay, been so determined yet? You know, it's been determined. Um, we're actually just um, kind of hammering out the itinerary right now, and we should have it ready probably, I okay. would say, within the next month for everyone. But um, the first, it's going to be a two-week trip, and you can break it up and just do one week, or you can do both weeks. Um, I'll be out there for two weeks. The first week is going to be Calgary which is going to be really cool. Oh, okay, so, wow. um, Yeah, seeing Calgary, and we're going to play four rounds of golf. So golf, in, golf instruction, all four rounds. So if, you're, you know, if a lady is listening and, and wants to take a fun trip, it's going to be um, all quintessential golf, learning the fundamentals. And you know what? <laughs> Having a good time. This is not pressure golf. This is going out there, just enjoying fellowship with other women, having fun, learning the Mm -hmm. fundamentals. It's going to be a blast. Then we're going to take uh, a train um, to Vancouver for the second week, four more rounds of golf over in Vancouver. Never been out that way. Mm -hmm. I've heard it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited uh, to see Western Canada. It's been on my bucket list for years because I've heard it's so beautiful. And all the state parks out there, we're going to hit a couple of them. But, um, yeah, I'm really excited about it, really excited to, again, grow the game, teach the game to women. So I'm really looking forward to it. Now, what, what time frame, when, when are you planning on, on doing this in, in 2019? What, what time of the year? Um, we are actually looking at June or July. So we're solidifying okay. those okay. dates right now. And I should have it up on the website here in the next few weeks of what the itinerary looks like, what the cost will be, and what those dates will be. But, yeah, we're looking at June or July. That's the best time to go out there, and so we should have that information soon. Okay, perfect. Well, when once it's uh, available, let me know, and I'll be okay. more than happy to, uh, to pl- plug it through all of my uh, social media and, and so forth as well and, and help promote it. I think it's a great idea. And and I'm like you, um, even though I'm from Canada, I have not been out to the Western Canada, but I do know one thing. If you get a chance, um, uh-huh. Via Rail, of course, is kind of the equivalent of Amtrak uh, here in the United right. States. Via Rail uh, runs uh, east and west in Canada. And they actually have a uh, car, uh, one of the cars that um, is connected to the train in Vancouver that actually has a glass ceiling. It's like a club oh, car. My and and you can actually see up into the, as it drives through or goes through the uh, track through the Rocky Mountains, and it's supposed to be breathtaking. I had an aunt and uncle that have taken it. I've been wanting to do it, and they were actually going to stop it um, a few years ago, and they had such an uproar that they decided to keep it going with budget restraints or something like that or budget right. cuts, and they had such an, yeah, such an upheaval. But it's one of the key attractions is to take this train – uh, through the the Rocky Mountains in Van, you know outside of uh, Vancouver, uh, and uh, it just it apparently is quite breathtaking. So uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to see that when you're there. But uh, but let me know about that. I want to move. Yeah, on. We've, we've only got a little bit of. Yeah, let me know when it happens, and I'll be more than happy to to help you promote that. And yes, I know Barbara very very well. She's uh, definitely a great ambassador for uh, for growing the game. Um, yes. I know you've been very very open. Uh, about your faith, as have I, 
and I think it's important. Talk a little bit about that. Why is it important to you? And obviously, you very diligently have been really pursuing that uh, all your life. Why is that important um, to you? Oh, well, because it's it's my eternal life. It's it's not just life here on earth. It's my life after uh, my life here on earth is over. So, um, you know, this life that we have here on earth, you know, even if uh, we have a very long life, if we're blessed with a long life, let's say hypothetically 90, 95 years, um, you know, it's it, it's just a breath. You know, uh, the Bible talks about it. It's, it's just mm-hmm. a breath, you know, this life here. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really focused on eternal life, you know. So day to day, I really try to focus on um, how is this going to affect my, my eternal life, you know, making good decisions, good choices, trying to, not perfect. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I've, no. I have good days and bad days like everybody else. But um, <laughs> I always try to keep, uh, you know. I always try to keep in a, a, what I call like an eternal perspective on life. And that really helps me stay focused. It helps me make better decisions. Um, it helps me know what my purpose is here on earth. You know, every one of us, you know, you, me, everyone listening, we are here for a reason. Um, we are alive and we're breathing right now because God has us here for a purpose. And that purpose is not just to live an abundant life, with, which that's what Jesus gave us, an abundant life here on earth. Um, yes, we're gonna, it's, life can be hard, too. We're going to have bad times, too. We all, we all go through bad times. But life is about relationships, um, connecting with people, loving people, um, serving other people. But it's, and it's also about finding what our gifts and talents are. You know, the Bible um, is very clear that the Lord gives all of us gifts and talents and how are we going to use those and I've always been very um, passionate about wanting to use all of my gifts and talents a hundredfold you know I want to be a good steward of what God gives me Mm -hmm. and so if he gives me a gift for teaching golf well then I want to give 110 percent and it's it's there's there is gratification (laughs) in that personally knowing at the end of the day did I give my best today Yes, because there's peace in that. You can sleep well at night knowing that you gave your best. But for me, it's knowing that one day I am going to stand before God. I, I am going to give an account mm-hmm. of my life. And um, I, want, I want him to say to me, well done and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. Right. And so that, it's just really important to me. But, you know, I've, I've shared a lot of my past with you. I've had a couple near-death experiences, some strange health issues right. happened to me where I almost left this world. And, when you know, when you're on the cusp like that of life, it changes your mm-hmm. perspective. Um, it makes you really focus on yeah. what's most important. And, you know, God's really blessed me. You know, I have an amazing husband. I have three amazing sons. And I, I love my vocation, what I do with golf. Um, absolutely love it um but first and foremost you know it's what does god want me to do and and that's what i think about a lot you know when i make choices even if even in my career you know there's a lot of ways i mm-hmm. could have gone especially after mrs south carolina i had a lot of opportunities that i was very quiet about that i didn't share with other people but opportunities that would potentially compromise my faith compromise my belief system compromise who i am as a person you know, so there's a lot of things I turned down um, that, you know, in, in a world's eyes, they, the, the world might say, man, that would have been great. You could have made money. You could have gotten famous. Yeah. And I, no, you know, no, it's okay. Um, 
I'm at peace with where I'm at because I know that I'm in uh, God's will. And there is a perfect peace in life when you know you're doing what God is calling you to do. Um, like I said, I, I sleep really good at night and I'm, and I'm really at peace <laughs> in my soul with, with what I'm doing. And again, first, you know, first and foremost, it's, I ask myself how, yeah. what are the long ter- long-term effects of any decision I make? How does it affect my relationship with Christ first and foremost? And then how does it affect my relationship with my husband, my children, my friends? And, you know, going right down the line. So the older I get, the more passionate I am about my faith, the more confident mm-hmm. I am about my faith and in, in what I believe. And um, it feels really good. You know, I just graduated from seminary, too, a couple months ago. So um, that, that was wow. pretty exciting for me. Yeah, so I have a master's uh, in Christian studies now, and I did that on the side. Nobody really knew I was doing that. I'm good at keeping secrets, Ted. <laughs> I, <laughs> yes, I you are. I, I noticed that you are. <laughs> yeah, so, but it was just and, a journey, and it, it was really cool, so. Well, that's fantastic, and I, I couldn't agree with you um, more um, with what you just said. I, you know, it, it, it's even... You know, obviously, it's about finding what your gifts and talents are and and using them to the fullest. And, and it's a shame, really, when you see so many people as they get on later in life and they look back and realize that they did have talents and they did have gifts, but they neglected to use them because they didn't really reach out and ask, you know, um, God for that help. They just said, well, no, you know, I'm going to just sort of muddle through life and, you know, I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that I have certain gifts and talents and the show is one of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had a very, very short story I'm going to share and then, then I'll, I'll move yep. on because the show's not about me. But, you know, when I first started this program, I remember when I was reaching out to, to different people and said, hey, here's what I'm doing. And I remember some, somebody reached out through social media and said, hey, anytime you want some controversy or this, that, and the other, you can really stir it up. And I thought to myself, no, if I'm going to invite people on as my guests, I don't want to, you know, have a bunch of gotcha questions or, or put them on the spot or embarrass them or because they're not going to come back. And that's not right. the purpose of the show. And, and obviously the idea behind um, their intent was to really have a juicy, you know, uh, content. And I said, well, this is a, first off, it's a golf show. So I don't know how juicy you can get in golf, but, <laughs> um, but you know, but that's not the purpose of the show. And, uh, you know, and I'm not saying this to, you know, throw my arms behind my back and pat myself, but sure. no, I, I guess, by sticking yeah. the course, yeah, by sticking the course that I chose, this is why people, um, you know, obviously I do still reach out to people such as yourself and that when, cause I know everybody's busy, but I get a lot right. of people reaching out to me wanting to come on the show because they've mm-hmm. listened to it. They understand the premise of what it's about. And, they want to be a part of it. That's, you know, preceding your uh, segment tonight, I had a coach's corner panel and that gets filled up every single year, two weeks after mm-hmm. I sent out the notice about it for That's the awesome. entire year. That hour segment okay. is filled up every single year since I've started that five years ago. This is my sixth season for Golf Talk Live. Mm-hmm. So obviously, um, you know, I had something that people wanted to hear. So, you know, I believe that I'm exercising my you know, God-given talent as well. So um, I, kudos to you for, for doing that because I know it's not always easy, 
especially in in this environment in this climate that um, sometimes right. we're dealing with in today's society to be open about that so kudos to you and and uh, I'm I'm very proud of you for doing that and you also volunteer yeah. as a chaplain I see uh, in a lot of your local <laughs> community so uh, I, I yeah do so no you're actually knows that but yeah, I go to nursing homes and um, spend time with some older folks. I'm telling you what, that's where all the wisdom's at, you know. I have learned more. That's right. You know, I'll go to nursing homes and just spend time um, with them, and sometimes I'll do a Bible study or I'll pray with them or really just um, communicating. And I have, oh, man, it's been great. I, it's like it's just a pure joy for me to um, just get away from my own world my work world, my family mm-hmm. world, and I go into somebody else's world that I don't even know. And I have met some of the most beautiful people, most interesting lives. And it's it's so funny. I, I go and I help people and minister to people where they're at, and they end up ministering to me. I'm the one leaving. That's right. Saying, wow, they just helped me so much. I so needed that. So this the, my volunteer chaplain is I'm learning it's not really about me helping them anymore. No. It's it's oh God is teaching me through them. So I'm <laughs> they're actually mentoring me. So it it it's a blessing um to go out and give like that and you know, it's I always encourage people, you know, get outside the box, go do something different. Really different. Something that, yeah. you know, that it, it's always good to get outside of your bubble. And so when I was in yeah. seminary, when I enrolled two and a half years ago, um, that was part of my program. You know, you have to do some internships and stuff. And I didn't tell anybody, of mm-hmm. course. But so, yeah, I was locally uh, going to, to nursing homes and um, also at a hospital. And just, oh, it's so mm-hmm. great. It, it's so great just meeting people and helping them where they're at. And in return, we get blessed. So it's awesome. That's right. And you know what, whether it's on the golf course uh, or in life, you know, the only way that you grow is by learning from, from others and helping one another. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll obviously have that uh, sewn up very well. Well, Meredith, I, I hate to say this, but our time is up. Um, we've got to end, uh, end the show or I have, I have to end the show, but I hope you yep. come back and join me and, and just uh, for everybody listening to the show, uh, make sure you now you can go and visit. I didn't want to plug it too much during the show because I didn't want everybody to exit and, and go and check it out. So I want you to go right now as we end this segment. I want you to go to MeredithKirkCoaching.com and check out not only what we talked about tonight here on the show, but so much more. She's a great lady, a great mm-hmm. asset to this uh, game, and a, a wonderful spirit. Thank you very much, Meredith Kirk, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. Thank you so much, Ted. It's been great. All right. I hope you'll come back and join me again. I will. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I I appreciate it. I love your show. You do such a great job. Well, thank you. All right, Meredith, have a great weekend. God bless. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest, Meredith Kirk. Um, Again, go and visit her website, MeredithKirkCoaching.com, where you'll learn from the quintessential coach herself, uh, some great uh, tips and training, lots of great videos on there and lots of great information. So go to MeredithKirkCoaching.com 
and you can check that out there at her website and all of her contact information there uh, is on the site as well. And a special thanks also to Chuck Evans and Jamie Leno Zimron again for the Coach's Corner panel tonight. Thanks guys for doing a, an awesome job as always. And on that note, I want to thank all of you, my faithful listeners from all around the world, for faithfully tuning in each and every week here on the show. Don't forget to join me Tuesday, uh, where I will be with my good friend and co-host, LPJ professional Cindy Miller, on the Women of Golf show here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, we'll be on here Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern, and then come right back again next Thursday uh, for another great round of Coach's Corner and another insightful guest on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and have a great weekend. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.